Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Five Hole Fantasy Hockey Podcast. I'm your host, TJ Branson. Today, we're going to continue the Dynasty Series, and today we are joined by Scott Wheeler from The Athletic. Prospect director over there knows this stuff about these 2021 entry-level guys. We're going to be talking a bunch of uh, prospects that are already in systems, too, like Evan Bouchard, Cole Caulfield, and different players that we think can make an impact next year. Trevor Zegras, that kind of thing. Uh, so I love Scott's level of insight. So having him on the show is always a delight. Thank you so much, Scott, for for joining us on the show. If you guys want to find us, we're on Twitter at FHF Hockey. You guys can join the Fantasy Hockey Discord. But without further ado, let's get into the interview with Scott and hear what he has to say about this class. Thanks for joining me today. Happy to have you here on the show. We're going to be talking some 2021 prospects, guys that are going to get drafted this year. And we're going to be talking um, a couple guys that are already in the system. We had a conversation last year. Some of the things went swimmingly and some things, uh, you know, panned out a little, a little muted, a little diluted yep. to what we had expected. Uh, so, Scott, if anybody wants to find you, you're on Twitter at Scott C. Wheeler. Your work is all over the athletic. I highly recommend anybody check that out. If there's anything else you're working on, man, floor is yours. No, just uh, full on draft mode at this point. My uh, draft board came out yesterday. We'll continue to roll out some features on some of the kids that I've been working on, some stories that I'm excited to share on some of these kids who've got some stories that frankly haven't been told yet. So I'm excited to to really get some of those out there. And then once draft day comes, third week in July, it'll be sort of full on analysis mode sort of putting all of the pieces together, looking at everyone that was picked, et cetera, et cetera. So really just ramping up and preparing for that. This is this is a month where my focus is kind of solely on on the draft, and then I'll turn my page to other things once it's over. There's going to be a lot, at least I think, of ambiguity at this point during our conversation just because they, they haven't fallen, like the chips haven't fallen where they're going to go. So a lot of mm-hmm. what we're doing is going to be talking, okay, ceiling this or how do you project a guy, but – the different systems is going to play a big part in it. Anybody that wants to follow Scott, I'm sure you're going to be talking about, you know, good fits and made the right choice on draft day. Yeah, you can count on it. (laughs) I'm looking forward to it. I know that. So the general questions that I have in a year like this, what have you found that is, that is almost the hardest part of scouting? I know like you can't, you can't get there. Some of, some of the leagues just straight up canceled because of coronavirus. Uh, What have you found as being maybe like the more nuanced parts of this year? Oh, good question. Um, it was a bit of a mixed bag, right? Because you started the year thinking, oh my God, uh, what is this going to look like? Are we even going to be able to have the draft in 2021? Are these leagues going to play enough games for us to have a large enough sample size to view these players in? And uh, then once things started to roll, they actually, almost all of them settled into a nice little rhythm. The Swedish junior ranks closed shop early when things got really bad there in the middle of the winter. Obviously, the OHL never got up and running. But other than that, every league, every major league in the world played. All the high school circuits in the States played. Most of the college teams in the States played, with the exception of the Ivy League programs like Harvard. And even then, when you're talking about the draft, there are only a handful of kids, if that, who even play college hockey in their draft year. So everything did kind of get sorted. And then, of course, in Europe, I mean, Switzerland, Slovakia. Finland, the pro league in Sweden, all three leagues uh, at all three levels in Russia, they all got up and running without trouble. So it it did end up being more of a normal year than I maybe expected it would. Um, but it did come with some hiccups for sure. I mean, I, I normally spend 60, 50% of the season on the road. Uh, 
two weeks in a, in a month, let's say, on the road. And this year I went to Edmonton for the World Juniors and that was it. I, I haven't left Canada since before COVID broke out in March of last year. Um, my last trip before that was to the University of Wisconsin that February, kind of right before COVID broke out. I mean, COVID existed at that point, but maybe not to the degree that we knew. So that part of it was weird. Uh, it, it just means a lot less time spent in rinks, a lot less time talking to sources face-to-face, -face, speaking with coaches, speaking with scouts in those rinks, uh, getting to know the players on a little bit more of a personal level. All of that was, was gone for me. And that meant a ton of video work. Thankfully, I, I really enjoy video work. I think it has some real advantages relative to, to being in the arena, uh, certainly in terms of efficiency. I mean, with the scouting service I use, I can watch just a single player shifts in a game cataloged, so I don't have to sit down and watch a three-hour game. I can just spend half an hour watching one kid play. So that is, is a much faster process than spending a weekend to fly to Boston or fly to wherever, see a couple of games, and that's really all you've accomplished for the weekend is, is those one or two games you've watched live. So I don't know. It, it was definitely different. I don't, I don't know if there was anything that was... Uh, made it really, really difficult. I still spent uh, all the time that I would have been talking to those people, I still just spent it on the phone or texting and asking around about some of the kids that I was less familiar with until I got a good sense for, for those kids. So it was a it was a weird year and an unconventional one, but I think I'm actually pretty comfortable with, with how things have played out and where I'm at on this draft class. And I think NHL clubs are at the same spot. I mean, they didn't get the combine and they didn't get the Memorial Cup and some of those sort of tent poles that they typically expect. But uh, they had the they had time, certainly, to watch all, all of these kids play. And it may have been on a smaller sample size than they would have preferred in a perfect year. But I think everybody's at a good spot. And, and this draft class is now going to be less volatile than maybe I expected it would. So uh, we'll see what it looks like four or five years ago and whether there were teams that really just didn't figure this draft class out and made a lot of mistakes or whether there were teams that had used the the time spent away from the rink to do due diligence in other ways and to build data models for these players and that kind of a thing. So I think there are definitely going to be some big winners and losers, uh, bigger maybe than there normally is in terms of the the highs and the lows of specific teams and their the, the job they do at this draft. But we'll see. It, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. How do you view this 2021 draft class in retrospect to what we have had in the past years? Like we had the Connor McDavid, um, you know, the, the for sure one and twos, and then going into the years following this one, we, we already, it looks like at least that we have for sure front runners and stuff. And, mm -hmm. and there's a little bit of incongruences here. When you look around the rankings, some, most folks have Owen power as number one, you know, just going back simply to last year, you had Alexi Lafreniere number one. And for us in fantasy, leagues and things like that. He was the for sure number one for us as well. Do you think that Owen Power is going to be the most lucrative fantasy player from this year's draft class? I'm not convinced that he will be. No, I think there's a chance that he is. But no, I think he'll have larger on ice value to the team that drafts him in real sort of hockey terms than he maybe will in fantasy terms. Uh, that isn't to knock him in terms of some of the offensive outputs that, that are required of good fantasy players. He, I think he's got a very good chance to have that. I think he's going to run a power play eventually. I think he's going to contribute offensively. He's confident with the puck on his stick. He's able to attack off the line. Uh, he, he makes plays across the zone. I, I would actually say that his sort of east-west movement in terms of his passing inside the offensive zone is one of his greatest attributes, which will get the puck inevitably to players who are in good spots to, to take scoring chances off the flank, and he'll pick up some assists 
that way and that kind of a thing. Uh, he's not afraid to shoot it and does a good job getting it through traffic. Uh, I'm not sure he's going to be a huge goal-scoring defenseman, um, but uh, he, he shot, he's going to generate shots. Uh, so, so there are a lot of pieces to like about Owen and the, the fantasy value that he may provide. But you're absolutely right that this draft is different that way. I would say overall it's a weaker draft than, than average. It's a below average draft for sure. It's not the worst draft we've ever seen, but uh, it's definitely in terms of the quality, at least at the top. Uh, I would say that the, the depth is about average, but the quality at the top is probably a cut below. This, this draft does have some players that excite me. I wrote in my draft board, my final draft board this week, that th there were probably 12 players in this draft that I get really excited about. And most scouts would probably argue that that list is about 9 or 10 for them. So my list is a little bit bigger. Um, but the, the kids that I've added to those lists that aren't typically there, uh, the big one being Cole Sillinger, I, I really think very fondly of Cole and think he has a chance to actually be one of the five best fantasy players in this draft if you're yeah. talking strictly about a fantasy value. So there, there are still very good players. There will be stars that emerge out of this draft class, even if there isn't a an Austin Matthews or a Shane Wright or a Matt Vaynichkov or a Connor McDavid type. Just going off of maybe having more in real life value than than in fantasy, Matt Beniers seems to fit that mold. And I'm, I may be way off base here, but it seems like there's more in real life assets to his game than somebody that's going to blow us away in fantasy. And, and that's not to take away anything from his game. I think that, you know, he's not going to disappoint fantasy managers and he's certainly not going to disappoint whoever drafts him. Just almost like that Charlie McAvoy that, that doesn't really yep. translate to fantasy, but in yep. the actual no, I think league, that's fair. perfect. Do you, what neighborhood would you kind of put him in, in, in an offensive output? Is he a 60 to 70 with a bunch of intangibles that we don't count in fantasy, making him more valuable or, um, how would you, how would you place him? I think 60 to 70 would be a very, very high end outcome for him. Uh, I, I think there will be seasons where he puts up 45, 50 points and he's a, a sort of a, a lesser scorer. I think some of that will depend on his line mates, whether he's on the top power play unit. Uh, I think he'll be a power play player for sure, but I, I do think there's a chance he's a second unit guy, which will limit some of his ability to produce there. At even strength, he's going to be a driver. Like He's going to be one of those guys who creates a lot of opportunities for his line mates, wins all of his foot races, generates a ton off the cycle, gets to the front of the net. The challenge for him, I think, is going to be from a fantasy value, is he finishing those plays or is he making the play to the guy who finishes those plays? And... I do think that he'll he'll be a factor there for sure. Like he's going to make all sorts of little area, small area plays, and eventually those are going to result in points and shots on goal, etc. Um, but you're right in terms of counting stats and relative to the value that he's going to provide, it's just not there, and that that's typical uh, of those sort of two way types. Like he is, like he's a 200 foot player. He's going to be back deep in his offensive zone. Marco Rossi kind of reminds me uh, uh, of that same type of player. When I consider fantasy value, I actually had Marco higher on my draft board last year than several other players who, if you're picking in a fantasy draft, you, you take those guys ahead of Marco. And that's because Marco's starting a lot of his offensive sequences where his team has the puck. He's starting them below his own goal line. And then he's got to go all the way back up the ice and he's trailing a lot of plays into the offensive zone. And that's just because he's doing such a good job supporting his teammates inside his own zone. Uh, and Beniers is a lot like that. Beniers is a better skater uh, than Marco was and, and more of an energizer bunny than Marco was. Uh, but both of those kids are going to be better NHL players than fantasy players for sure. I'm curious. And 
for me, this this draft feels a lot like the 2017 draft where, you know, you had your Nico and your Nolan at the top of the class. And it's easy to play with hindsight now. But if we were to redraft, you know, there's guys like Makar, Pedersen, Suzuki, Nietzsche, that if we were to do a redraft would find themselves a lot higher, maybe even mm-hmm. ahead of, of Nolan Patrick at this point. So if we can, can we put ourselves five years into the future? Do you see anybody that would kind of fit that Elias Pedersen mold or oh my God, how did he fall that far considering all the chips fell right for a player like this? Well, I already kind of mentioned Cole. I think there's a good chance Cole becomes that kind of a player. He's not going to become a player as dynamic as Elias Pedersen is at his ceiling, but Cole has an opportunity in terms of fantasy value. If he is, if he's going 15th overall in the NHL draft or 16th overall in the NHL draft, I would probably take him five, six, seven slots higher than that in a fantasy draft. And that's just because his ability to create plays, his hands, his shot, his ability to use his shot in a variety of ways, like he's going to put up points. Um, and and the big concern that some scouts have with his the rest of his game is, is a little bit about his skating and that kind of a thing. But... I don't think that's going to limit him in a serious way. So Cole Sillinger is definitely a player who I think it has more value in a fantasy draft than he will in terms of where he's picked in, an act, in the actual draft. But the big player that fits into that mold is Kent Johnson, for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, Kent is number two on my board, my actual draft board, when I'm talking about players I would pick. And a big part of that is because he has... The ability, I think, to produce at the very top of an NHL lineup, and you can count on one hand, one hand, if that, the number of players in this draft who have who have the talent level to do that. Like he has an opportunity to be a first line player, and he's going to play on a first power play unit for his entire career. And it's just the skill level, the counting stats, his ability to produce. He may not have the two way value of some of those other players. He may not have the physicality of a Mason McTavish or the roundedness of a Matt Beniers. And maybe that's a reason for an NHL club to draft him lower than those two guys but in terms of pure fantasy value he's he's going to have an opportunity if he reaches his ceiling which is what i think fantasy gm should be looking for um especially in deep drafts and sort of deep keeper leagues he's got an opportunity when he when he moves on from college to be a productive player right away and then in the prime of his career i think he's got an opportunity to be a 70 point guy and he, he's really maybe the only player in this draft who i think has it has that kind of skill level so kent is is probably going to go between five and ten in the actual draft but there's no doubt in my mind he should be a top two three four pick in, in a fantasy league in terms of strictly this draft class's talent yeah the more i read about him the more excited i get he's somebody that i would think has maybe like the highest offensive ceiling it seems like you're quite high on yeah. Chaz lucius and sasha Pastajov the same way would you put mm-hmm. those two names in the same conversation for the competition of highest offensive ceiling out of this class? Ooh, uh, Sasha, I probably wouldn't. Sasha's a very gifted player and should go extremely high, like borderline top 10 in a, in a fantasy draft setting for this draft. But Chaz, I, I would say, is a slight cut above. Chaz is kind of closer to that Kent Johnson tier in terms of the, the fantasy potential. And that's because he's going to produce a lot of primary points, right? So... Mm. He, he's going to score goals. You're, you're not, he's not going to be as reliant as a Kent Johnson is per se on his line mates where Kent is primarily a playmaker and he can finish plays for sure. But Kent is, is going to be a playmaker and that's going to require that he plays with finishers. Whereas as long as someone can get Chaz the puck 
he's going to be able to score goals. Uh, I think Chaz is going to take a little longer. Kent's older than Chaz. Kent's already played a year of college. There's a chance that Kent's next year in college is his last year in college. And if not, his third year will definitely be his last year. He's not going to stay for four years. Whereas Chaz could still be there two, three years, uh, maybe even four years at, at Minnesota. So it's going to take a little bit longer for Chaz. There are some kinks that he needs to iron out. Uh, he needs to improve his skating. But his ability as a goal scorer certainly uh, grades at the very top of this draft class. I, I think Chaz is the best natural scorer in this class. We've we've talked a bit about Cole Sillinger already. You have him inside your top 10. And I love the hype around this kid. And I mean, you seem to be a big fan of his shot, admire his skill, his handiwork, things like that. What do you think an yeah. average NHL season looks for him? What would you nail down as his ceiling? Well, I think in the prime of his career, he's going to be a 20, 25 goal scorer, 50, 55 point guy. But I think with the right line mates, he has the chance to be more than that. I, I think at, at the very top of his ceiling, you could see him score 30 plus goals. You could see him score 60 plus points. I, I think he's he's got that quality to his game. I think he's going to be a better player than his dad was. And his dad was a consistent 40 ish point player throughout his career um he's more gifted he's his hands for sure his shot is i mean i already touched on it but there's a lot to like about Sillinger's game he's a very dynamic player and on top of that he's an extraordinary athlete uh when, when i've asked around about him i did a big feature on him at the athletic um spoke to a lot of people around him and like he's one of those like three percent body fat incredible in the gym athletes and i think that bodes well for sort of the safety of a cole Sillinger pick in terms of his pro upside like he's going to be an nhler there are kids at the top of this draft class a lot of kids at the top of this draft class who the big concern with them is is about kind of their athleticism and and there's risk inherently in that it, it, when you look at simon edvinson uh for example and and sort of the way that he bends at the knees or brant clark and the way he bends at the knees in his skating there are little quirks in those players games that make them will make people a little bit uneasy about drafting them and about them reaching their true ceiling whereas i i think Sillinger's floor is maybe a little bit higher than those guys just because of his athleticism because he's already looks like an NHLer uh, and then because on top of that he's got the skill that a lot of those other players also have anyways so uh, th there's just a comfort level I have with Cole in, in just my belief in him I, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain he's going to be a, a very good NHL player is he somebody that shoots a lot does he have a high shot volume no, no, I wouldn't say he is. I mean, he's a goal scorer for sure, uh, and he's a finisher, and he'll score goals from mid-range and, and those sort of highlight reel, sort of high-danger goals that, that natural scorers finish. He, he is that type of player. Uh, but he's not looking for it every time he's on the ice. He's not obsessed with it. He's not. He doesn't tunnel vision for the shot like a lot of goal scorers do. Um, there, there's variety to his game. He'll make plays. He'll use the attention he gets as a goal scorer to to feed his line mates. Um, so it's it's not it's not a one dimensional sort of I'm gonna rip shots at the net from everywhere on the ice kind of player. If there was somebody we were searching for with shot volume, like if you had to pick your volume players, whether it be hits blocks or shots uh which one would you pick from the top end of this draft well i think in terms of the the scores in this draft there's really only five or six sort of really gifted scores in this draft and at the very most of them are ranked at the top i mean we've already talked about cole sillinger mason mctavish dylan gunther is is up there as well Th those players can put the puck in the net for sure 
But then deeper in the draft, there are players that I would target if you're looking for sort of those volume shooting scorers. Uh, and the two big ones that I would probably look at are Logan Stankoven, uh, who's a little bit on the smaller side and is probably going to be available deeper into the NHL draft than he should be because of it. He's kind of 5'8", five, 5'9", five, on a good day. Uh, but a tremendous scorer who, from the hash marks, is one of the most lethal players in this draft. Uh, so Logan's a player I would target he, who puts a lot of pucks on net and, and can finish a lot of those plays. Uh, and then the other one I would I would look at is Samu Salmanen. So for whatever reason, Denver seems to be drawn to these sort of one-dimensional scoring types. They went after Carter Savoy last year, who I think probably had is going to have very good fantasy value for those who took him in their drafts a year ago. Um uh, he, he Savoy is a natural scorer, and Salmonen's kind of the same thing this year. Off to Denver, uh, has issues with his skating, and there are quirks in his game, and it's going to take him some time, and he's probably going to be in college three or four years, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but Salmonen's a player who who can just rip the puck into the net uh, from anywhere inside the offensive zone. So beyond those sort of four or five guys at the top of the draft, I would I would probably target Salmonen and uh, Stankoven. Mason McTavish, we talked, like you said, a little bit about him. It seems like he's going to be somebody that's extremely hard to play against. Like there is there's a physical game there that's mixed with offensive talent yeah. that isn't to be understated. Is he somebody that is going to be piling on the hits in addition to contributing to offensive categories? Definitely. Um, nice. He plays a very hard, heavy, physical um aggressive game and that's true with the puck and it's true without the puck in terms of finishing his checks getting up and under guys that kind of a thing uh, the big challenge for mason has always been kind of his weight he, he carries some baby fat around and uh, that's he's probably going to have to watch that throughout the throughout his career make sure he doesn't get too heavy uh, but other than that mason's game has everything um he's he's a very now natural shooter with a hard hard shot like it really pops off of his blade kind of thing. Um, and then he's got that physical element. He's got that sort of toughness to him that teams covet. And he just really wants the puck and goes and chases it and gets it and then tries to make a play to the slot. Like that's his modus operandi, right? So um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Mason, both as a legit sort of now top 10 prospect in this draft. He was more of a kind of 10 to 20 guy at the start of the year in this class based off of the year that he had in Peterborough, but really emerged to have an excellent year in, in Switzerland and then came over and was obviously even better for, for Canada in, in Texas at, at world. So um, yeah, Mason's, a, he, he's an exciting talent, both for fantasy value and for sort of hockey value. Love it. Dylan Gunther has been somebody that I've enjoyed following. He's been one of my favorite prospects to follow from this class. His focus is more in the offensive end. And I think he's going to be somebody that makes fantasy GMs pretty happy. I'm curious here, where do you see his deployment ceiling? Is he a top six guy, middle six guy? How do you project him? Well, he'll be a top six guy if he reaches his true potential. I have no doubt about that. Um, he, he's an excellent player in transition, like carves up the neutral zone, gains entry a lot. Uh, but then he's there's some deception to his game inside the offensive zone that obviously made him a two-point-per-game player in the WHL this year. And part of that had to do with playing on an Edmonton team that lost three games and was unstoppable and playing with neighbors, who is a, obviously a St. Louis Blues first-round pick. So the, the, there were some inflated stats there over a shortened season this year. He's not going to score 24 points in 12 games 
consistently if if he's back next year, which I expect he will be back next year. Like I don't think he's going to be a two point per game player in the WHL next year, even though he was this season. But beyond that, I, he's an, he's a very interesting player. Kind of a multi dimensional, can shoot and score, has excellent hands and a little bit of deception to his game in terms of faking out opponents, baiting defenders into him so that he can make a play through them, that kind of a thing. And then he's a very impressive skater. So he's one of the most well-rounded offensive players in this draft. There are a lot of offensive players in this draft who do one thing or two things really, really well. And Dylan kind of does it all really, really well. I'm not sure he's going to be a true sort of star, like a a sort of transformative point-per-game player in the NHL. But it it's, wouldn't surprise me at all if he's in that sort of 60, high 60s range uh, and then maybe has an, an odd year that's better than that or an odd year that's worse than that based off of luck and shooting percentages, etc. So um, he, he, he's a very, very exciting prospect. Last year, we talked about NHL-ready prospects out of the 2020 class. We talked about Marco Rossi. The chips just didn't fall the right way for him that this year. And then there was... Um, Tim Stutzla and Alexei Lafreniere. The, the latter two they played, Rossi more than likely would have played. Is there anybody that you see that has a toolkit that could translate directly to the NHL from this class? Well, Owen's got the best odds, but uh, I mean, I've got a big feature on Owen coming out soon uh, in advance of the draft, probably the week before the draft. And he has told me and has also spoken publicly in, in the press tour that he did a couple of weeks ago about how he's actually leaning towards returning to Michigan. Um he also told me that if his NHL club thinks he's ready and they want him there, then he'll play there. So it's possible. I think he looked good enough at, at I mean, he looked like an NHL player at world champion at senior world championships where I thought as he played more, Canada got better and Canada's tough start in the tournament was in part because they didn't use him enough. And then when he was playing 20 plus minutes a night, they looked like a much better team when he was on the ice. So that that's a major testament to a, 18-year-old kid who went in and, and sort of made his debut with professionals and, and really looked like a solid defender. But this draft class is, all of these kids still need some work, and and Owen is not alone in that. Uh, I, I think that there's a desire among those who've worked with him and coached him to have him play a little bit harder uh, and use his size a little bit more than he does in the defensive zone. He's, from a fantasy value at this point in his in his progression doesn't look like he's going to be a very physical player in terms of hits or if you, if you still count in your league penalty minutes which i i think is a terrible thing for it's fantasy leagues yeah. but that's for a, <laughs> that's for a different uh different hypothetical conversation um but no owen's probably the only one if i'm being honest i think all of those other kids at the top brant clark no chance simon Edvinson, no chance matt veneers will go back dylan gunther will go back mason mctavish will go back um, I, I'd be surprised if any of those kids played well enough in their camps. I mean, maybe maybe one of them get, gets a look for that sort of nine-game stint early in the regular season if they have a really strong training camp, but I'd be pretty surprised. There's a lot of high-end D from this, from this draft class, and you in particular are very high on Brant Clark. You got him ranked third in your in your top 100 here. And to be honest, he's he's gotten lost in the fray for me. I haven't done enough research to feel totally comfortable projecting him. And I'd, I'd love to just hear what you have to say about him. Brant's a special player. Uh, I often talk about him and Simon Edmondson in this draft as, as kind of unicorns. They are very unique prospects. Brant in particular, there is no prospect that I've, and this is my eighth 
draft class doing this full time and in eight years of doing this there is not a single prospect who has ever looked any looked or played anything like Brandt. Um, he has let me and my colleague Josh Cloak into his life this year for a diary series that we've been doing where we've been connecting with him on a regular basis to speak over the phone about where he's at, what he's been up to, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And in that I've also asked around with dozens of the people who've worked with him over the years including his skills coach who works with him in in Ottawa and works with Eric Carlson and Claude Giroux among other people and uh, his strength coach and he's a kid who is is kind of borderline unathletic um, so there there are concerns that way uh, he skates with his knees bent there's some knee knocking that happens he looks kind of awkward out there he's still very much even though he's put on a lot of muscle in the last year still very much a skinny kid um, just doesn't really look like an athlete I actually had a his his junior his minor hockey coach with the Don Mills Flyers joked with me that he was one of the most athletic players he'd ever seen and he was also the best minor hockey player he'd ever seen so he's a quirky kid uh, and a quirky prospect and that isn't to say I'm not excited about him because I obviously am he's been in my top five all year Um, I think he's an exceptional talent his ability with the puck to hang on to it to beat pressure to sidestep pressure to spin off pressure his comfort level making very difficult plays whether it's a spin pass or a high flip pass over over sort of three zones worth of players to spring a teammate for a breakaway those kinds of things are just everywhere in his game and he's completely fearless offensively he plays a roving style offensively where you'll see him at the front of the net you'll see him behind the offensive zone goal line you'll see him everywhere trying to make something happen and then he'll use his skating to recover if he has to and he'll track back that way so I love that for fantasy value for sure because there's power play upside there there's even strength creation upside there. That part of his game is very exciting. So there's a boomer bust element, I, I think, to Brandt. But in terms of the talent level and, and the potential of what he could be if he puts it all together, he's got a chance to be a very dynamic defender. And those are the kinds of players who have significant fantasy value. Let's say you're drafting just from this class and we're and you're looking for a D. I mean, you got Owen Power at the top, Brandt Clark, uh, Luke Hughes, Simon Evanson, and then Carson Lambeau is kind of down um, in the teens there. But I'm curious, how would you draft these guys? Who would who would be your first overall? And then how would you sort the rest? Probably Owen 1 pretty firmly, uh, Brant 2 pretty firmly, Luke 3 uh, a little less firmly, uh, and then Simon 4. Those are probably the, the 1, 2, 3, 4. Simon has a chance to be a very interesting player, but the big drawback in Simon's game as it stands right now, at least his offensive game from a fantasy value, is that he can't really shoot the puck. Uh, it comes off of his stick really soft. He, he's not comfortable with it. He's open about that. He's not going to score goals at the NHL level, I don't think. I mean, there's a chance he makes huge progress there, but his game is going to be about transporting the puck from end to end, using his length, using his hands. He's got unbelievable hands for a six foot four, six foot five defender, uh, and then making plays in terms of his passing and his ability to to sort of hit seams so there still could be significant fantasy value for Simon he's one of the most gifted offensive players in this draft without question but I think because his his shot is a little limited right now I'd have a tough time taking him over power Clark and and Hughes in that order you wrote a great article on a2 Ratu, and I don't I don't want to take anything away from that because I do think people should go read it in its entirety. But I'm curious, you cite his IQ, his shot; those are the top end; those are his best qualities. 
Do you think he's going to wind up being a steal for whoever drafts him in the NHL? And do you think that could translate well to fantasy? Do you think he'll pay value where he's landed right now? You have him at 16. Do you think he'll eventually outperform his his draft placement? I think it'll be tough um, just because he's definitely got some gifts. Like the shot, his shot comes off of his stick hard. Like one of those shots where when it hits the boards, you really hear it. You can tell it pops. Um, he's got good hands, very good hands, but the rest of the pieces of Ratu, Ratu's puzzle are a little limiting. He's still got to work on his skating. He's, he doesn't process the game particularly well out there, which relies on, him sort of playing in straight lines and playing a little bit more of a give and go style because he just with the puck um, can cave under pressure a little bit too often for my liking. So I think if Ratu makes it, it's going to be as kind of that second, third, a good second line center or a very good third line center. And in either role, I think he's probably not the most productive player on his line. Like I think you'll see him as kind of the secondary piece on the, on a middle six line, or even the third piece on a middle six line where he's a contributing player and he has value to that line in a variety of ways, but I don't think it's going to show up in huge counting stats for him. And the, I think there is still a chance that he really puts it all together and becomes a more productive player than maybe that maybe I'm suggesting here, but um, it, there's, there's definitely, there are definitely some concerns in terms of him reaching that still, uh, despite a little bit more progress made at the end of the year. It, it's just been a rough year and a half for him. And and his journey's very complicated. Uh, it, I, I'm not ready to label him a bust. I wouldn't have him at 16 if I were. Uh, there there were some mental pieces of the puzzle at play in terms of why things haven't worked out like many expected they would when he burst three years ago onto the scene at the under 20 level as a 15-year-old and was basically a star player right away and, and they sort of began the potential first overall conversation. So uh, Ratu's had a tough time since then. And, and part of that is just circumstances. Part of that is him losing his passion for the game. Part of that is playing on Carpat, a program that infamously takes it slow with young players and is really one of the giants of Europe. I think if he were with another team, a lesser team in, in Liga, he probably would have played more and produced more. And we would have a little bit of a glossier perspective of him. But given what has happened, there, there's 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 now a road, a longer road for him than, than many expected. And he's got a lot of pro qualities, which will help him get to the NHL, I think. But the level of player that he can be at the NHL is still to be determined. Is he somewhat trending back in the right direction? Like, would you consider him on the road to bouncing back at this point? Yeah, definitely. Um, the staff there were happy with him in the second half and into the playoffs. He went from sort of playing only a few minutes a night and being in and out of the lineup and being a guy that they didn't feel like they could trust to being a regular uh, one of their 12 forwards in the second half and still wasn't playing a huge role, but was playing every night, was playing a regular shift at even strength, occasionally factored in on both special teams, though not really in a go-to role on either. Um, so yes, there, there was progress made there and he started to get his comfort and his feel with the puck back a little bit more and uh, started to sort of turn it around. And I think once you get outside the top 14 or 15 picks, he's he's a worthwhile uh, selection in that sort of 15 to 30 range. So lastly, on the 2021 draft, we have a couple deep cuts that have piqued some of the interest of, of folks that we're talking to in our Discord and things like that. Colton Doc, first up, you have him in the late 70s. I'm curious if there are a couple bullet points that you might share on him. Yeah, I mean, he's not Kirby, right? So the, the, 
the expectation and the name cachet that's there says, okay, this kid comes from good lineage. He's six foot four. He can play center or wing. And he just in his second season was a point per game player, which is a strong season, even in a shortened year in the WHL. Um, but I did have concerns about him a year ago as a rookie where he just always kind of left me feeling like his, his package of tools were good without really being impressive in any key area. Um, certainly his size is going to be appealing to teams and helps his likelihood of reaching his floor in the NHL. But I do think that Colton at the very, very top of his ceiling is probably a third line player. Um, and, and that limits him in terms of fantasy value, right? So uh, he, I, there's growth for him still. He's talented for sure. I don't want this to come across as saying that Doc uh, lacks skill or talent. He, he doesn't. There, there's some upside there. He's going to be able to make some plays and that kind of thing, but uh, it, it doesn't really leap off the page in any one area for me, which I, I think could sort of ultimately limit his fantasy value. In somewhat of the same tier as far as rankings go is Jack Barr, a defenseman out of Chicago. Curious about him as well. Yeah, Jack's a kid I'm very familiar with. I did a, a big story on Quinton Byfield in his draft year, and at the time, Jack was playing on that team with Quinton um, and with Evan Veerling and a number of other top prospects who were in a draft class ahead of him in 2020. Um, and he was excellent back then. He was a star in the minor hockey circuit in, in and around uh, Toronto here. Um, but he decided against going the OHL route. And in doing so, he ended up at St. Andrews College, which is actually in my hometown and where I've watched him play a number of times. Uh, and then from St. Andrews College was supposed to go to the BCHL this year before the BCHL struggled to get going. And inevitably, um, he made the move to go to the USHL and to sort of play for the Chicago Steel and play in a role with the Chicago Steel that was a little bit limiting in terms of his his limelight and his ability to produce and his ability to do the kinds of things that would make him maybe the top uh, 60, 70 pick that he might deserve to be. So they asked him, I've spoken a lot with Ryan Hardy, the GM in Chicago about him, and, and they asked him to take on a different role this year. He didn't get the power play touches. He didn't take a ton of opportunities inside the offensive zone. Uh, and I think there is more to his game offensively that we will see at Harvard um, but he's a big kid who moves well, can handle the puck fairly comfortably, um, and has some decent talent and certainly can shoot the puck as well. He's got a very hard point shot and, and will activate into the high slot to, to use it from a more dangerous area as well. So there is some two-way upside there for sure. Um, and then his size and his physicality are, are things that will also have value in terms of projecting him forward. But he's going to take some time at, at Harvard, and then the the result may not be a very dynamic offensive player. I think there's there's some skill there, and there is some talent there, but he's not going to be a, a high-counting stats, highly productive player. Um, and I think most of his production will come from his shot and from scoring and then from assists that come off of rebounds and that kind of a thing. So um we'll see he's a he's an interesting kid and a big kid i mean one of those kids who just looks big out there he looks like he's snowshoeing with those big skates that he has and um there there is some some real appeal there both for fantasy value and i think for nhl clubs that will make him kind of a mid-round pick in the draft samuel helenius is somebody that his name just keeps popping up despite being so far down in rankings and things like that. He's in the same neighborhood as uh, Colton and Jack here. I'm wondering, what? why do I keep hearing his name as often as I am? 
Well, he's produced at the pro level at an early age, and I think anytime you do that, it start, it's you start to sort of grab uh, the limelight a little bit and grab some attention. And he's playing a little bit further ahead than his peers, where a lot of his peers spent this year playing in the Finnish junior ranks. He played professionally. And when you're doing that, you're inevitably getting eyeballs on you in terms of scouts, uh, and, and there, there creates a little bit of a buzz. And then the second piece of the puzzle is that he got to play at the World Juniors in his draft year, which not a lot of players do. Um, so all, all of those things combine to sort of say, okay, this kid's interesting. And then on top of that, the most interesting thing about him is that he's a giant. He's going to be, if he makes it in the NHL, probably the tallest forward in the league. And on one hand, that's appealing because he actually does have some skill in that package. He's not just a net front tip and redirect guy, which a lot of those big players, the Brian Boyles, et cetera, become. Uh, he's more than that. He can handle the puck. He's comfortable with the puck on his stick. He's got good hands. Um, so that has, that sort of ups his, his appeal a little bit, but it is still very hard. It's, it's going to be a long road for him. And, and no matter how good you are, if you're six foot seven, six foot six, six foot eight, it's very hard, especially as a forward. I think it's a little bit easier as a defenseman to make it in the NHL. Uh, and for the same reason, it's hard at five foot six, five foot seven. Increasingly, we're seeing five foot eight, five foot nine guys, but we're still not seeing a lot of those five foot six, five foot seven wizards who dominate at junior make it. Um, and I think the same is true at the other end of the, spe- the spectrum. So it's going to be, I think it's going to be difficult for him. His skating is always going to be an issue. He, I think he's actually a fine skater for his size, but. You can only be so good as a skater when you're that big. Um, so th- there are there are some concerns there, but I think if you're taking a swing on him in the sort of middle rounds at the at the NHL draft or sort of late in a fantasy draft uh, in, in a deep keeper league, that's that's a fine risk to make when you're getting into a range where virtually everybody else has has their own warts or they wouldn't be available if they didn't. So. Uh, Hellenius is an interesting player, but uh, there's definitely some caution that I have there. Somebody who wasn't ranked in your top 100 here is Daniel Chayka. I'm wondering if if there's anything you know about this guy. Chayka was uh, in my top 100. Uh, I believe he was 48th or 49th, uh, but definitely a little bit lower on Chayka than most. Uh, there's a chance he's a first-round NHL draft pick, which I think will live to be a mistake for the team that takes that plunge. Uh, he, he's ha- got a ton of name value in the scouting scene because... This would have been his third year of junior hockey had the OHL got up and running. This would have been his third year with Guelph. And in one of those first two years, he went to a Memorial Cup and played a regular role as a very young player. So, and was a reliable defender in that role. So credit to him. Um, This year was a rough year for him. It was a little bit up and down. I thought he was brutal at the World Juniors. uh, In saying that though, basically that entire defense for Russia was in the same boat. There was one defenseman in this draft who was on that team, Kasanov, who, who I thought had a much better performance, but by, by and large, they all struggled. And Chaika is a limited player. He's got a very long stick. So while he's pretty decent offensively uh, for, for being a taller player, he, the, the length of his stick honestly just limits his ability to, to shoot the puck hard and to make plays when he's under pressure uh, in terms of stepping around people and that kind of a thing. Uh, so the value he's going to bring is going to be defensive. And as a result, I think if he makes it, he's not going to be a great fantasy player. Yeah, I got cursed by the control F. I was searching for Daniel with one eye. I see him now here mm. at 48. Somewhere, someone in the same neighborhood is Alexander Kisikov, left wing out of Moskva. I'm wondering a couple of things about him. 
Well, he's a he's a cut I would absolutely take from a fantasy value. Uh, tremendous risk, very skinny kid, very light on his skates. As a result, it's going to be hard for him to, to take that leap and to take those next steps. But he has slowly begun to add weight and get a little bit stronger. And then the skill package is like borderline first round level talent. Um, so that's a gamble that I'd be comfortable taking in fantasy just because when he's got the puck on his stick, his ability to spin and maneuver through traffic and, and just sort of keep plays alive, knife through holes, sort of carve teams up inside the offensive zone, it, it is very impressive. He's an extremely entertaining player to watch with the puck on his stick and has some tricks in his arsenal that he goes to pretty regularly that he executes that other players just don't. He's got a, a spin move that he uses along the cycle in particular where he plays the puck behind the defenders and catches it to himself that somehow seems to work more than it should. Um, so there, there's a lot to like about him. He's, he's a very, very talented puck handler. And as a result, th th there's value in those players because if he figures it out, if he gets stronger, if he lands with the right organization who are comfortable using him and using him in an offensive role, the the, the ceiling is, is much higher than where he's likely to be available. So I want to round out this conversation now with some prospects that are already hanging out in systems, guys that are already in the in the league in some fashion. And first up is Evan Bouchard. We've seen what being QB1 on an Edmonton power play does to a D-man. Barry led all defensemen in points this year. And that was a role that we had carved out for Bouchard. I'm curious, going into next year, whether or not, you know, it's let's say they, they re-sign Barry and let's say they don't. Like two different worlds that we could live in. What kind of year are you expecting if Barry's there and what kind of year would you expect if he's not? Well, I think if he plays on PP1, he's going to thrive. I'm a huge fan of Evan Bouchard, but I think that he has to get touches and has to be making things happen offensively and has to be a quarterback on one of the two power plays, preferably the top power play, to get the most out of him because his defensive game at even strength is always just going to be kind of okay. And he's never he's made significant progress in his skating, but he's never going to be the greatest skater. He's never going to be the most aware defender. So his game is all about his ability to get shots through, to score from the blue line, which not a lot of defensemen can do, and to just make plays and start and end rushes. Um, so that part is really exciting for me. I still am a very firm believer that he's going to end up on PP1 at some point in his career and that he's going to have that kind of Kevin Shattenkirk fantasy value where he's probably a better fantasy player than he is an actual NHL player. Um Mike Green was kind of the same way throughout his career. He, he he has the chance to be that kind of a player. I really do believe he can be a 40 to 50 point defender and be one of the highest, most productive defenders in the NHL in the prime of his career if the opportunities start to sort of come in his favor. But between Darnell Nurse and Barry and et cetera, et cetera, there are options there that they feel comfortable with and that they felt comfortable with. And it seems to be hard for him to break in, which is a little unfortunate because I think he's ready for it. So I know that's not a direct answer to the question. If Barry's not back, it definitely helps his odds, but it wouldn't surprise me if they threw Darnell Nurse in that role, right? So yeah. um, th there are other options there. He's not a lock if Barry's not there to be on PP1, but I do think if he gets that opportunity, he he'll have very sneaky value because there are a lot of people that are down on Bouchard. I think there's probably a market inefficiency there for, for smart fantasy GMs to tap into and to just wait for, and, and the payoff will come. Trevor Zegras, going back to our conversation last year, I couldn't have been more off about Trevor Zegras. I said he was just one of those guys that that struck me the wrong way. Maybe I didn't buy into the hype. But after a couple cups of coffee this year and going back to the AHL, reconditioning himself to be a center in the NHL where he's positioned to be, 
he didn't look out of place. I'm I'm curious what you expect out of him this year. Ooh, um, I expect a step forward for sure. Um, I, I don't think he's going to be that kind of explode offensively player that maybe he's capable of being. I think that's going to come eventually, uh, but he's still got some work to do to get stronger. He's still a fine skater, but not a dynamic skater. And the bulk of his game is is still very much reliant on his ability to see things that other people don't see and then to execute very, very difficult passes. Um, he's starting to shoot the puck more and look for his spots. And when he does, he actually is a lethal, very athlete, very accurate, I should say, shooter. Uh, not a hard one, but can really go post and in. Um, so that's going to give him some goal scoring value, but they, he's always going to be kind of a 15, 20 goal guy and more of a playmaker, right? His, his, his stats are always going to skew towards the assist column. And if he becomes the 70 point player that I think he's capable of becoming in the prime of his career, it's going to be because he's putting up 50 assists a year. Um, so I, I think he'll get there. I don't think that's going to happen immediately this season. I think you'll see him on that Anaheim team, take on a bigger role. He'll be on the top power play unit and he'll have a productive year as a result, but he's not going to be a sort of top of the lineup fantasy player, at least not yet. Yeah. It seems like Anaheim needs to insulate him with people to pass to at this point. They're, they're still figuring out their even strength lines at this rate, man. It's yeah, it's a long time coming. Cole Caulfield looks amazing in this Cinderella run that, that the Habs are on. And I can't believe that they've made it this far. Cole Caulfield almost at the forefront, the chemistry between him and Suzuki at this point. I mean, they look primed to make a hefty impact next year. Do you think there's there's two thoughts that I can't quiet in my head? It's I'm thinking back to last year with Miro Heiskanen and his playoff uh, performance, and then coming into this year, it just it was kind of a disappointment from from a Heiskanen perspective. And I'm curious if you think that's going to happen to Cole, or is this something that we can that we can expect going into next year? Ooh, uh, I think he's going to have a, a massive year. Uh, like quickly. Um, I, I think you could see Cole win the Calder next year. I think you could see him score 25 to 30 goals next year. Um, I'm not worried about him at all. Uh, and maybe that's me getting a carried away with how good he's looked here, but he has always looked that good. I mean, he should have been taken higher in his draft year. He should have been regarded as a better prospect after his first year in college hockey where he was good, but he wasn't maybe as exploding uh, offensively as as everybody expected he would be. So this year has just been a kind of a, I mean, you just, you said Cinderella, but th- that's the word for him as well, not just for the Habs. It's, it's been an unbelievable year for him. He was the best player in college hockey by a pretty wide margin, I would probably argue. And then he hasn't looked out of place right away. And I think you're just going to see him continue to progress. I remember exactly where I was when I'm a Flyers fan. They took Cam York ahead of Cole Caulfield. Everybody in the bar we were at was was chanting Cole, 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 and it didn't happen. So that that will live in my memory pretty vividly. Marco Rossi is somebody that we were both pretty excited about last year when we had our conversation. Do you think he's primed to make a game one appearance? Do you believe that he's going to be the 1C or are you enjoying what Joel Eriksson-Eck is doing at 1C? I don't think he'll be the 1C. Uh, if largely because of what he's been through this year and i think it's going to take they're going to take it slow with him i think fantasy wise he's probably not going to have as good a year as he might be capable of just because it's going to they're they're going to make sure that it's a process they're going to make sure that they take their time that they're not rushing into anything with him that they're handling him the right way that he's moving up the lineup as as slowly as he needs to be uh i don't think they're going to want to overburden him right away when he hasn't played hockey in a year and a half um, so it'll, it'll be a, a slower process for him, but I do think he's going to be an everyday player on that team next year. 
that you may see him play a stint in the AHL. That wouldn't shock me if he played 10, 15 games in the AHL to, to really start to feel himself uh, and figure it out offensively. But I think other than that, you'll, you'll see him as a regular in that lineup. You'll see him contributing. But I think it's the year after the after this year that where you'll see the sort of counting stats start to come and him start to look like the, the sort of top 10, top 15 pick that, that he was and should have been in that draft. Alexander Holtz coming into New Jersey. They're the, if not the youngest team, at least one of them is, is Holtz somebody you could see jumping into the NHL next year. Uh, yes. I think they'll give him an opportunity. I'm not sure he'll hold on to it. I, I think you could see him in the AHL some more next year. Uh, maybe not for the full year, but I could see him splitting the year between the two uh, and then may, becoming sort of a full-time 82 game player the following season. Uh, Alexander had just an okay season this year, if I'm being honest, uh, and a a worse year than maybe I expected he would. So, uh, there, there's still some, some things to iron out there. Um, he, he looked a little heavy in his stride at times this year, uh, and needed to be a little bit quicker, but he, he's going to be fine. Uh, I, I still think he's going to be a 25 to 30 goal guy who plays on power play one and finishes his checks and also provides value on the cycle. And there are things to like, uh, without question about his game and, and what he provides. So, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to tracking him over the next three or four years, but I don't think he's going to have an immediate impact this season. Spencer Knight's the last guy I got on the docket here and, and Florida, they seem to be priming the engine for what seems inevitable that they might lose Drieger to expansion in Seattle this year. Knight looked really good. They even played him in the playoffs and not at all out of place. Do you think that, uh, do you feel confident about what we could expect going into next year? I know goalie is maybe the most volatile position of them all, but Spencer Knight seems to have the toolkit to, to be able to thrive. Yeah, I mean, they're in an interesting spot there with three goalies, obviously. Um, but he, Spencer is is special. He's the kind of player you make exceptions for. He's the kind of player you open up one of your two jobs for and just play him in, um, even if that other goalie is Sergei Bobrovsky. So I, I do think that he's going to play next year. He's going to be a, one of their two goalies. It, it may not be a 50-game season for him, but he's going to play and challenge for those minutes. And I think it'll be a one, a one B for whoever ends up getting those jobs. Um, and, and he's going to be in that mix, which will make him a, a valuable goalie in fantasy because Florida is going to be good again next year. And he's going to be a part of that. Like they were, they were a lot of fun like that Tampa Florida mm-hmm. game, the first game. I don't, I don't know if I'll ever see a game that good ever again. Scott, that's all I got for you today, man. Thank you so much for for hanging out with me here during lunchtime and everything. And uh, happy to have you on. Yep. Thanks so much for having me. One more time. If you guys want to find Scott on Twitter, Scott C. Wheeler, definitely encourage you guys to check out his work on The Athletic. Scott, have a great rest of the day, man. Cheers. have it guys hope you enjoyed that interview with scott wheeler from the athletic but big thanks to scott for carving some time out of his day to talk to us fantasy nerds and and get us hyped about uh about drafting some of these kids for our for our games you know one more time if you guys want to find scott he is on twitter at scott c wheeler and if you guys want to find us we're on twitter at fhf hockey we also got a fantasy hockey discord that you guys are invited to join 
and we look forward to the rest of the series. We got Mitch Brown next week. Peter Harling is going to make an appearance next week as well. So we're going to continue this Dynasty series. If there's anybody that you guys want us to talk about or something like that, pop in the Discord, hit us up on Twitter, whatever you want to do. Love you guys. Bye.